don't know if you've ever had uh, the responsibility of either buying a house or building a house. And uh, there is uh, a lot of stuff that goes into both of those projects, either trying to get moved into a house or trying to build a house and getting that all done. It's been recognized for generations that it is quite an event when you finally get that built that they uh, at times had uh, different ceremonies that just celebrated the fact that you got the house finally built. Uh, and uh, when you at times uh, get things done uh, as far as moving, uh, people do stuff like bring over what they call housewarming gifts. I remember when we got here and uh, moved into our house here and the neighbors came over and brought a cake with them. And I had never had the cake like that, but it was a nothing bunt cake. And it was like, oh, I didn't know these existed. Uh, and uh, and uh, they brought that over and welcomed us and uh, were really thrilled to have us as neighbors and we were thrilled to have them as neighbors. You can remember in New England, they have what is known as a pounding. You know, what is a pounding? Well, a pounding is when you get moved in their house that people bring in all sorts of stuff to fill up your pantry and to take care of things like that. So they uh, bring stuff uh, to you, or they have a, an event. Uh, it was a church for us, and uh, they just have a pounding, and they get you all sorts of food, and there was food that we had never tried before in cans and stuff, and we eventually tried them. Uh, but uh, you have this kind of a thing. When you get done buying a house, moving into a house, building a house, there's usually a celebration of some kind. Now, we're finally here, and, and others rejoice with you that you're finally there and, and everything is done. And you say, well, why do you start that up and, and talk that way? Well, just look at the beginning of this psalm. Okay, Psalm 30, and then right underneath it, which the title, we sometimes forget, the title is uh, Scripture. You look in the Hebrew text, you'll find it there. Uh, it's explanation of a passage before you actually get into Scripture, but it's there, uh, and it's helpful. But it says that this is a psalm and a song at the dedication of the house of David. It's gotten all done. Now, you may not realize that this is a question mark because no one knows what house we're talking about. Many have uh, tried to say, well, maybe this was the dedication of the temple, that David built this and whatever, but if you study your Bible, you know that David didn't build the temple. In fact, he tried to, and the Lord said, you don't get to build it. You've been a man of war. Your son will build this. But he did promise David that he would have a house, that his family line would go on forever and ever, that somebody on the throne would rule forever and ever. And so some have suggested that maybe this is a, a psalm that was written at the time where David found out that he was going to have a house, a family line over time. But it could very well be, and I tend to go with the, this thought, that this is the house of David that was built. Remember that David spent much of his younger life as a teenager and young adult running around the countryside, fleeing from place to place, living in caves and, and strange people's homes and different communities, foreign cities, uh, and living life like that. And eventually when Saul died, he was, 
king for seven and a half years over the one tribe of Judah, not the whole of the nation of Israel. When he finally took over uh, the whole of the nation, they actually had to fight to capture Jerusalem, which eventually became the capital city. And there was multiple projects there that David partook in. And one of them may very well have been the building of a house. There are some that suggest the fact they've recently in the last 10 to 15 years dug up something that they call David's palace uh, there in Jerusalem, that they uh, think that that's the house that he actually built uh, there in Jerusalem. And so this psalm was on the occasion uh, of perhaps things in his mind getting settled. We're finally in place and everything seems okay. And he writes this psalm. Because as you'll see, there are dangers when you do feel like you're settled and secure. There's some real dangers for your spiritual life uh, when you feel secure. So we're going to look at this psalm. I want to start off by just reading through it here this evening. So Psalm 30, we're going to read 1 through 12 and just read through it and then uh, get the theme here of what uh, David was trying to communicate in this. Psalm 30, a psalm, a song of the dedication of the house of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought me up from my, my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved lord by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong thou didst hide thy face and i was troubled i cried to the to thee o lord and unto the lord i made supplication what profit is there in my blood when i go down to the pit shall the dust praise thee shall it declare thy truth hear o lord and have mercy upon me lord be thou my helper Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. You have in this psalm just the structure here. You have two outbursts of praise where uh, you have praise to God, but in the middle, a well, a statement of what happens when there's overconfidence, consequences of that. And so for us, the theme that we'll be following and just kind of gauging our, our whole psalm this evening is this, that the servant should not let a quick deliverance by the Lord lift them up in pride. Okay. The servant should not let quick deliverance by the Lord lift them up in pride. So what you find in verses 1 through 5 is that the Lord is able to lift his servant up from temporary disaster. 
In this psalm, as you go through it, there's a lot of eyes and and mys and that type of thing. This is a psalm of personal testimony. David is not describing something that happened to somebody else. He's describing what happened to himself. It's a testimony psalm. We do the same thing. We say, okay, why don't you give testimony of what the Lord's done for you? And you then declare uh, different things that he's done in a praise service and the like. That's what you have here. He's just simply declaring, this is what happened to me. I want you to know it's a personal testimony. And in this case, what he's describing is that the Lord had lifted him up or drawn him up. It's like a a, a picture of, uh, and most of us had not had to live this way, but the picture of a bucket being down deep in a well and a rope attached to it and it being pulled up out of this pit and this lifting up that takes place. That's how this word was used the drawing up of things uh, in a pit or a well. David says, you've lifted me up. You've pulled me up out of something. You've drawn me up. And in this case, you say, well, how deep was this pit that David found himself in? It was as deep as death. Because as you look at the terms, he's going to describe the fact that he was healed in verse 2 and that the house brought my soul up from the grave. Okay, he had some sort of sickness. We're not told what, what kind of uh, uh, problem that he had there, but it was enough to bring him uh, right up to what he thought he was going to die. It was disease serious enough to bring that as a possibility to his mind. It was a sickness that, well, is quite amazing in this sense because you think about everything else that David went through in life enemies on all sides chasing him all over the countryside the the nations around looking to see him defeated and destroyed and here he has this sickness his own body uh, working against him to bring him down something as simple as well we know microscopic that can bring him down and he's at that point where he's recognizing the fact i was at that point where i was on the gates of death And for him, he was concerned that it would bring shame to God in his name. That God had done all these things to put him in place as king, to get him established and and to get him to where he is at, and then to have him simply die of a disease. What he was concerned about, look at what verse 1 says, uh, Thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. You find several kings in the Old Testament that that was their concern, that their defeat uh, simply by a disease or something like that would bring shame to the name of God, that God could take care of them but couldn't take care of them when it came to their sickness, could lead their armies and and help them in battle but could not do that. Uh, You look at Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3, he had a situation that he was very concerned about as far as his health and his concern was well what will the enemies of god say as the result of me dying like this after all the protection that god had given to that point and david's the same way he shudders at the fact of what his enemies might rejoice at if he was to die like this i mean one has put it this way the one who's making his cry to God is as good as dead. He was standing in the door of Sheol, which was the statement of uh, death among other dead people and needed bringing back to life. You say, well, did God do that? 
Well, this is a testimony psalm. And he's, his voice kind of changes uh, from verses 1 to 3 to verses 4 and 5 where he's crying out to God, he's near death, Lord, you have to rescue me, to all of a sudden praise. And what he's doing is he's going to give testimony to others to have them rejoice in what God is like. And he's calling for other people, sing unto the Lord, ye saints of his. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Uh, he is well, calling people to praise God with him. I mean, that's really what a testimony service ought to be. A testimony service is not uh, when you get up and you start praising the Lord and everyone goes, well, that's great. You know, that was a wonderful thing that happened in your life. No, what, what you ought to have is as you give testimony to God that you're glorifying God and magnifying what he did so that when you're done, people are going, God has done a good thing. God's done a great work, uh, and that he is glorified and magnified. I mean, for David, this is a personal problem for him. He was near death, but the Lord delivered him, and when he gives testimony, he's calling for people to focus on God, what God has accomplished in his life, and is a celebration in his mind of God's saving power. And he praises God for what he's done, but he wants others to focus on this. Now you think about what he says in this passage. He brings up something that's a fact about God, about the character of God for people to consider in the midst of this. He's giving testimony to God, but he then, in the midst of this praising God, verse 5, he just simply says this, here's something you need to understand about God. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. See, what he's doing is he's contrasting the nature of what seemingly is God's anger and his favor. That God's anger does not last forever against his own people. But his mercy lasts for eternity. You know, we sometimes have a misconception of what God's like, that God enjoys being angry. That he just likes growling and, and being unhappy with everything in the world. And so that he's looking for opportunities to judge and that he just delights in this. This is what brings him excitement and joy. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at a different passages of Scripture, but one of the main passages is Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where it's talking about the characteristics of God. And that passage, the nation of Israel has just uh, made God very, very upset because they went and made a golden calf just after they had heard, don't make idols. And they went through this whole process, and Moses asked the, for the glory of God to be shown unto him. And what happens is God just simply goes by and declares certain characteristics about himself. And these are the things that God delights in, that he delights that he is a God that is gracious and merciful. He's abundant in goodness and truth. He is one who delights in those things that we would call grace and mercy and kindness. He delights in it. Now, you do have to 
realize this, that you just don't get to go get away with everything because you can provoke His anger. But as you look at the Scripture, you have to work to provoke His anger. His mercy, His goodness, His kindness, those things are always on display. He delights in showing Himself to be like that. And for many of us, at times we experience things that may, in a sense, be difficult. At times it may be because we've done wrong, but we have to get out of our mind that God delights in making our life miserable. He doesn't. No, He delights in showing Himself good, merciful. And what David says here is that His anger endures but a moment. It's not as long as you think it is. But his favor is life. Uh, the idea there is that it is life. It's, in this sense, it's forever. He shows these things. And this is not a, a different concept than what you have in the New Testament. This is not just an Old Testament concept. Bad things in this life for those that follow God are not permanent. Okay, from our perspective, difficulties don't go on forever. In fact, they're rather short. I want us to just place uh, something here, a marker in your Bible, and I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians is a book where Paul pretty much opens up and uh, describes the difficulties that he went through as an apostle. A lot of times he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. But his hand has kind of been forced by individuals in the church that have come at the church of Corinth that are questioning his ministry, questioning what he's doing. They're saying things about him that he's basically just ministering because it gets him something, earns him something. Uh, that you know, in some cases, they're claiming that you know he's getting rich and becoming famous off of being a, an apostle, and he's just doing this for what it will gain him. If he went through hardship, that he wouldn't be an apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7, Paul opens up about what the ministry is like for him. He understands his own frailty. Verse 7 says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, we say, well, what are earthen vessels made out of? Earth? Dirt? What are we made of? Dirt? We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. And then he goes through and just lists out what is going on in his life. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live uh, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. What he's saying is, everywhere I turn, I'm under threat of death. And he basically goes to every town, he's chased by people who have rocks with them. They want to kill him. Verse 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus, 
shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. And he's just simply saying this, if we do die, it's okay because then good comes. We have the blessing of eternity. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our, and this is the interesting statement, for our light affliction. Other places in 2 Corinthians, it's shipwrecks and beatings five times and, and all sorts of things. Robberies take place. Light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He goes through and just simply says this, this life, though it has difficulties, and at times we just kind of go, what is going on? It's really temporary, the difficulties we're being put through. In light of the eternal favor of being with God forever, being presented with Him in glory and enjoying that, the things that we go through are light and temporary. For David, when he goes through and going back to Psalm 15, he went through this disease and we're not told how long it lasts and, and what uh, it uh, was, but he realized this. It, it seemed from my perspective that maybe God wasn't showing me favor for a time. He was putting me through uh, some sort of press in life and was, I was being pressured. But really, it's temporary. What God's favor is, is for eternity. Though we may at times in this life go through difficult circumstances. You, you might, as he describes the end of verse 5, it might seem like a night, but when the sun rises, you forget that there was a night. Because of the brightness of the day. For David, he gives deliverance and he's reminding people that no matter what you're going through, the favor of God is eternal, uh, though the circumstances you may be going through are just merely temporary. The blessing of God is long-term. It endures, it tarries. So then you go, what happens? David's giving testimony and he's giving this testimony of praise that when good things happen to us, we respond oftentimes badly to them. There is this thinking at times that, you know, if God was always good to me, I would always serve Him. I would wholeheartedly follow Him if good things happened to me. Well, you don't find that throughout the Scriptures because what happens when good things are happening, life seems to be going well and smoothly and things like that, we begin to look around at what is around us and go, well, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Sort of reminded me as I was reading through this passage you have in in Daniel chapter 4, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who, was built, had the, who had built the largest empire in the world at the time. And the most impressive city in the world. 
And he's looking around and looking at the different pyramids, the ziggurats he had built, and the streets and the walls that were there surrounding the city of Babylon. And he says this, look at this great Babylon that I have built. And it was in that instant that God struck him down. He'd been reminded by Daniel on multiple occasions that God had done this for him. And he had the testimony of Daniel to remind him of that, but he forgot it at that point when he had prosperity and God had to go and give him seven years of madness to suddenly he was in his right mind and glorified God that he was the king of kings and the lord of lords, that he was the one who rules in the heavens and rules on earth. I mean, David, as you look at this, the Lord is able to humble his servant who's lifted up in self-glory. Instead of glorifying God, he's glorifying himself. Verse 6, it says this, In my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Don't know what prompted David to think this is perhaps maybe he was looking around the city of Jerusalem and looking at the walls there and the palace that he had. He's looking at the soldiers that he has, the army that he has, and he just simply says this, we're in a great position. The armies around us, the nations around us are subdued and they're calm. I'm in this great city and look at what's happened. I'm never going to be moved. I, and that's the problem, am never going to be moved. One has put it this way, prosperity is never far from easy circumstances and a very careless outlook. When you have this word prosperity in the scripture, you oftentimes find it right up against uh, other statements about disaster. Jeremiah 22 verse 21 says this, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. And Jeremiah is trying to talk to individuals when it's the prosperous times and what happens for them. They just kind of cover their ears. They won't hear about God. They won't hear what he has to say. Things are going okay. Don't want to listen. Proverbs 1 verse 32 says this, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Now, the fool thinks that they will never be brought down. And for David, he's thinking this, that Mount Zion has been made secure, that it's made strong. I mean, look at uh, verse number seven. He's still in this mode of, well, this, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. You know, I'll never be moved. He kind of gives God some credit, but he's just saying, you know what? This is going okay. The mountain that I'm at, my mountain is never going to be moved. And for David, he's like the wicked who pride themselves in their boastful words. I will never be shaken. You find that in Psalm 10.6. They make the very same statement that David does. I'm never going to be moved. No one can move me. And when that happens, God oftentimes brings in circumstances to immediately remind us we are not who we think we are. That the prosperity we have is not something that we have come up with and we have created and we have somehow organized to get. No, it's God that's done this. And there is this very sudden change where there's prosperity. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, in the middle of verse number seven, thou didst hide thy face and I was troubled. 
It's like it's sunny out and then all of a sudden a cloud comes across and it's immediately darkened. And that's how quick the reversal was. David thought everything was okay and that he had accomplished these things. And it's immediate where God hides his face. He's troubled. Verse 8, I cried to thee, O Lord. Unto the Lord I made my supplication. You finally begin to realize that he's, well, back to where he needs to be at because he's crying out to the Lord. He's crying out to Jehovah. This is the term where God said, listen, I'm going to have a relation with you as a nation and as a people. This is the name I want you to call me by. This is my personal name. And David starts calling on the Lord. I cried to the Lord. I made supplication to the Lord. And that's what oftentimes bad things do in our life. We suddenly realize our own weakness and it drives us to our knees. It has us call upon God. And in this case, it's exactly what happens. David's saying, I'll never be moved. And God's favor is suddenly pulled because he's so prideful and he's moved. But he's moved in a good way. He's moved not to abandon God, but he's moved to the one that he knows is the only one who can save. And his prayer is kind of an interesting one. Not necessarily one that we might use uh, in our own thinking that would be one that is recorded in the Scripture. But David just simply says this, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Lord, if I die because of these things, you're not going to have me to be able to praise you in public to people that need to hear the fact that you're praiseworthy. He's not merely saying, Lord, you have to save me because I'm, well, in the sense, important and all of these things. He's just simply saying, you lose a voice of someone who could actually give testimony to who you are. Would you keep me in place to help me be able to praise you as you're deserving of? I mean, he ends it with this way, shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Well, it's kind of an ironic statement shall the dust praise thee dust is always praising god that's what we are kind of an ironic question but what he's saying there is if i go back to dust if i die and i my body goes back into the earth and becomes the like the dust of the earth uh, will i be able to praise thee shall it declare thy truth the answer is well yes it's one less voice to do that And when David comes and he is looking for the favor of the Lord and calls upon God, God responds. I mean, I, some reason with this in this psalm, I, I kept going back to 2 Corinthians. Do you realize there are certain things that God does for us to just recognize Him more? And it's our weakness that he does this in. Just want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as you said, 2 Corinthians is just Paul talking about the difficulties of life and how God sustained him, and at times that God just left these things in place. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about an occasion where he's talking about himself. He's, he's veiling the fact that it's him, but you figure out after reading it that he experienced something that was unusual for human beings to experience. 
And that was for him to go, as he describes it, to the third heaven. You go, what's the third heaven? Is there some sort of new spiritual theology I've never heard about? What we're talking about is the heavens, uh, the first heavens would be what we see with the blue sky and the air that we see. The second heaven is the stars in the sky. The third heaven is describing the place where God dwells. Okay, that's what's being talked about here. Okay, but I just want to read 2 Corinthians 12 verse 1. It says this, Paul says, it's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, whether out of body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. utter. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. All of a sudden, he just kind of shifts and you suddenly realize he's talking about himself experiencing this. If I'm exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What he had that was in his body or in his life, we are never told. And I think it's by divine wisdom that we're not told what it is. Because there's a lot of us that have messengers of Satan to buffet us. Things that God allows to be a part of our life to keep us humbled. I mean, for Paul, it was enough for him to beseech the lord look at verse 8 for this thing i besought the lord thrice that it might depart from me there seems to be three major occasions where he set aside time and begged of the lord please remove this please oh please take this away verse 9 and he said god said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee my strength is made perfect in weakness I'm glorified when you're weak. I'm glorified more often when you're in that type of state. And Paul says this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. And he's not saying that I'm strong. It's just simply saying God's able to use me. See, this is something back in Psalm 30, going back to this, that he's going, well, I can't praise you if I'm completely destroyed, but at least give me enough life uh, to be able to praise you. That you're still a good God, that you're worthy of praise, even in the midst of infirmities, reproaches, difficulties in life. Let me be able to praise you. That's what David is doing. Even if he's in weakened state, he's just simply saying, give me the opportunity to glory in who you are and show that forth. And so what you find in the last two verses, verses 11 and 12, is that the Lord will receive glory from his servant who has been lifted up. 
God raises up his servant and that servant has seen what he has done, the only thing they can do is to praise God. They've been humbled. They have no strength. God raises them up. Look at verse 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth, uh, which what you would have think about this, sackcloth was the universal sign and outward picture for people to know you were sad. It was uncomfortable to wear, and it was obvious that you were in some kind of mourning. He just simply says this, I was in a situation where I was wearing sackcloth, but now you have girded me with gladness. No one's looking at me and going, that person's sad. That person's in distress. Verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee. It's not my glory in the sense of this. I'm taking all of my effort and all of my ability to focus attention on you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee. How long? Short period of time? Forever. And the idea there is always. I'm going to do this continuously. The celebration of David is just a great and open celebration that he just simply says, silence isn't an option here. God's done something for me and I have to declare it that I have a God who's capable of doing things. He's done great things for me and my praise will be continuous and it will never cease and it will never stop. For us, we've got to consider there are occasions where God has done great things in lifting us up. Have we stopped praising Him? Have we become silent in our praise for what he's done for us? At the least, in the least, he's given you salvation for eternity. You ought to be able to praise him for that, if anything. But oftentimes we're silent uh, and we've just stopped praising God for the things that he's done for us. I just came across a story. It's a story a man by the name of Captain Moffat Burris. Burris was a paratrooper. He fought uh, in World War II with the 82nd Airborne, and some of his worst memories was of an occasion in September of 1944 where he and a number of other paratroopers from the 101st Airborne and the British 1st Airborne were called upon to capture bridges beyond enemy lines and hopefully that uh, their forces would come with tanks and jeeps to eventually rescue them. But they were to capture the bridges so they could get across some very wide rivers uh, in the Netherlands. And so this was their job. And if anybody knows this occasion, it was known as Operation Market Garden, but it became known in history as the Bridge Too Far that these paratroopers were in places where they were far from help. Burris had gone through that with the 82nd Airborne. He had been in a place uh, called Namagan, where there was a very wide bridge, but the problem was on both sides of the bridge, there was much open space where enemies had set up all sorts of different artillery and guns uh, to wipe out anything in the open area, and the 82nd Airborne was called to fight there and to die there. Burris, back in, in uh, 1993, had the opportunity to go back. He hadn't been back 
uh, to where this battle had been fought. And so he went there and he revisited the bridge. He saw the grass that was there, the, the different uh, open spaces and memories came back of friends of his that didn't make it through the days there, individuals that he had fought with. And later in the day, they went to a memorial. The more memorial there was specifically for his unit, the 3rd Battalion of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment, which is part of the 82nd Airborne, but it was specifically for his regiment. And on there was a brass plaque with the names of individuals that had died in that battle. And he went through and saw all those names and came to the conclusion or came to the reminder that he knew all of those individuals and he could see their faces. But he was there with some Dutch individuals that, that were there, some of the, the people from the Netherlands that were there with him, visiting this war hero and with him. And he looked down and at the base of the memorial was a set of new flowers. I mean, they were fresh flowers, and he's going, wow, that, that's kind of interesting. And he said to the crowd around him, it looks like we came at the right time. What's the occasion? You know, there's flowers here. You know, what's the special occasion? One of the Dutchmen that was with him just simply said this, there's no special occasion. Every day, we keep fresh flowers here and at other memorials. In fact, we bring school children here regularly so they will know the great price the Americans paid for our freedom. The writer of the story just simply said this, that's it. There is an ongoing obligation to remember and praise. Those people were willing every day to put down fresh flowers for an event that had taken place some 50 years before. And how quick we are to forget events that God has done 30 minutes before and aren't willing to praise Him. David wants us to praise God always for everything that He has done. We shouldn't be people that are quick to forget, but we should be quick to praise God for all the things He's done, both now and right on into eternity. That ought to be our goal. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and what you have done. Anything that we are is because of what you've done in our life. The good things from our perspective, it's not because of who we are. It's because of who you are. Lord, help us to be more aware of your dealings and your doings in our life. May we beware of the good things that you do and not just merely keep them for ourselves, but may we share them with others. Pointing to you, the great God, a God who has done so much to lift us up, to save us for eternity. So may our praise continue on for eternity and that we are more filled uh, than we have been, that we would be more regular in our testimony declaring who you are. Help us not to be lifted up in pride, which is so easy in our flesh, but may we be lifted up in praise to you. And this we pray in the name of your Son, 
our great Savior. Amen.